Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to the Sport Faith Life podcast. I'm Brian Bolt here with my co-host Chad Carlson, and we are really excited about today's guest. So today uh, with us we have Marcos Wittig, who is a lifelong career missionary serving in Medellin, Colombia. Marcos has a remarkable story here. Uh, spent time with the Bible Seminary in Medellin, Colombia, and is the founder of the Christian Union Sport uh, Soccer Club. And we're so excited to hear Marco's story today and uh, hear what he has to say to us regarding sport and Christianity. Marcos, um, we're so happy to have you here, and we'd love for you to, to open up by sharing a little bit about uh, sport and uh, your history with sport in life. Okay, well, it's great to uh, be with you all. I appreciate your interest in uh, Colombia and our ministry. Uh, actually, I was born in Colombia and uh, lived in Colombia up to about... 12 years of age uh, when my parents moved back to the United States. And uh, anyhow, we uh, uh, grew up, I grew up in rural Columbia, uh, and every day it was uh, with the soccer ball. And so uh, besides uh, school and, and a few other things uh, there on the farm that my father had, uh, I was out there playing soccer with my uh, uh, buddies, uh, Colombian buddies. Uh, nothing formal, just uh, uh, some of them would play barefoot. And uh, I did have my little Keds tennies on, but uh, so it was uh, soccer about every day of my life uh, until I left uh, Columbia. So that's great. Can you can you share now a little bit um, about faith that your your faith history in your life? Right. Uh, well, as I just mentioned, grew up in a missionary home, and I just I don't believe I don't remember a time when uh, I didn't believe in Christ, uh, but. Uh, at a right around age eight or so, uh, I still remember making a sort of a intentional decision to uh, follow Christ, and uh, and from there on, uh, it's been uh, believing in and trusting in God uh, through Jesus Christ. Marcos, you have a fascinating uh, life story, and you've told us a little bit about your your history with sport and with faith. But before we get to that story, is there anything that you want our listeners to know about you? Things that uh, maybe something that's unique uh, that gets us uh, maybe a little bit of a window into who you are. Well, I don't know about unique or anything. I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm an MK, and uh, you know, uh, I think some MKs had uh, a fairly uh, difficult uh, life. Uh, growing up, moving, and so forth and so on, sort of like army brats and that kind of thing. We moved quite a bit, actually. Uh, but um, in spite of that, um, you know, I think uh, God had his hand on me, and um, I've always uh, felt like he has been close to me, and I, I've, never, uh, I've never 
done anything, you know, rebellious. Uh, I've been a pretty brilliant kid. And uh, so um, just a normal growing up, uh, believing, trusting God, uh, following my parents. And uh, there's uh, six of us kids in this family. So we had to share quite a bit uh, everywhere we went, you know, share beds, share rooms and so forth and so on. So um, uh, that, you know, um, uh, what's unique about me is that uh, I'm just a everyday type of person, you know, nothing. Well, yeah. Ordinary, you know, and I keep telling people that. As well. <laughs> well, maybe the rebellious thing you're doing is being on a podcast with us. That's yeah, possible. Like well, that might be. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it, though. So uh, for many of our listeners, uh, we just don't have a great context for Columbia. Right. A few of us have traveled to Colombia. People on, that are listening to this podcast are from all over the world and uh, probably have not, uh, like myself, never been there. Can you tell us a little about the, the world in which you live and um, maybe even just the, the, a little bit about the culture? Tell us what life is like in Colombia. Right, right. Well, Colombia is a, an incredible country, people, uh, very resilient uh, uh, you know, I can't tell you the whole history, but uh, when we arrived in Colombia as missionaries to teach at the Biblical Seminary of Colombia, uh, you know, the Medellin drug cartel was uh, picking up steam. And on top of that, uh, you know, Colombia has had the longest standing uh, guerrilla army in the world. And, uh, and, and so when we came into, this, uh, into the country, we had uh, the Medellin cartel. We had the uh, uh, communist guerrillas, and then we had uh, the paramilitaries that also rose up to counter the guerrilla movement in the neighbor in the in rural areas. So, uh, you know, Colombians uh, have gone through uh, a lot in terms of violence and death. Um, as I uh, like to tell people or share with people, not like to tell, but you know. Uh, God has done something really special here so that uh, in that, you know, we have come through uh, a really violent uh, time in Medi in Colombia, Medellin. And uh, the Colombian people are, are very resilient, very entrepreneur. And um, uh, we still have, you know, like everywhere, uh, our bad guys. We we have uh, right now a criminal organization called the Clan del Golfo, the Gulf Clan up north Colombia, and they're still, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing in drugs. Uh, I've just read the other day that uh, the U.S. has spent uh, on drugs over 120 billion dollars uh, this this past year, and uh, it's just. You know, it's just too much money for people to give up, you know. And so, you know, Colombian are very beautiful people. Uh, unfortunately, tragically, uh, some of them were taken up with the wealth of the drug trade. And that made them very, very violent. Uh, just just this past week, uh, 14 young people were shot and killed, uh, you know, uh, under the age of 24. Five of them were like 14-year-olds. And... Uh, it's just uh, really heart-wrenching to, to see that. Uh, all, all over territory, power, territory, drugs, money, and, and so forth. So 
Um, the Colombians have, have really gone through it, but, you know, we're the only uh, Latin American country with two coasts, you know, Pacific, Atlantic. Uh, we're the leading producer of flowers in the world, leading producer of bananas in the world. Uh, we are the leading producer of emeralds in the world. It's, it's really quite a contrast, you know, Colombia. Uh, it was the number one country in, the, in in terms of orchids in the world, Medellin, orchid capital of the world, and homicide capital of the world. How do you figure that? It's just, just an amazing contrast. And uh, uh, But God has had uh, great mercy upon uh, these people, and, and we continue to pray and, and look to, you know, seeing kids' lives change and people's lives change. So some of the work you've done, Marcos, um, coincides with, a little bit of what maybe American sports fans have come to know about Colombia. So a few years ago, ESPN produced a 30 for 30 documentary called The Two Escobars. And it talks about the the, the parallel, um, but, but very dissimilar lives of soccer star Andres Escobar and drug cartel chief Pablo Escobar. And so your story sort of comes along at the same time as Pablo Escobar, doesn't it? And in the same the same area. So some of the issues you were dealing with had to do with some of the young men falling under his influence. Certainly. Well, in 1985, thereabouts, you know, he, uh, in 845, he still wasn't a, a real, in the sights of, of the police and the judiciary uh, department, but uh, uh, he would, he would boast as being a promoter of sports, of soccer. And uh, I have a picture of him with a soccer ball under his arm and, and a soccer team around him. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, I came along or God brought me along just about that time too, you know, and uh, it, it's really sobering. I, I like to share with my kids this, this fact that uh, about an hour and a half away from here, there's a lake area where the rich and famous have their homes. Well, Pablo Escobar had a, a humongous home there in this area, uh, Guatapé is called, and uh, at one time it was bombed out by his enemies, and it's still there, you know, many years. And, and so uh, I show kids, you know, Pablo with his ball, with the ball under his arm, and me with my ball, a soccer ball, and my kids, and then I show them a picture of, of his bombed out house and then of course they know my stadium our stadium that we have and i said look at look where if you follow god what happens you know and, uh, and so it's uh he was a you know benefactor but uh he he took a lot of lives and caused a tremendous harm and tragedy you know that uh really fascinating documentary does dabble a bit in Andres Escobar's faith um, and talks a little bit about uh, the faith of the country and Christianity in general. But your story, too, is a, is a contrast in many ways, uh, and it can be used in that way as uh, a marker or a symbol of sort of that difference. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the project that you've worked on since as it relates to faith and how uh, how soccer is actually uh, still a part of, of what you think about every day. Right, right. So, well, uh, when we landed in Medellin, uh, I think they 
uh, I was received with gunfire. You know? Wow. <laughs> Things were pretty hot back then, back the end of 85. Uh, Medellin had already become the homicide capital of the world. Anyhow, just uh, we, we moved into a neighborhood where there were some uh, mid-level to higher-level drug bosses. And uh, they had their mansion-type home, uh, bulletproof cars, and, and uh, you know, just began to see dead bodies, uh, hear gunfire all the time. And, I, and, and I, as I got out and get to knowing the neighborhood, um, I began to uh, play some pickup soccer with some of the guys, the young men there, and, and found out, realized that they all worked for this guy this middle-level drug boss, and uh, and so I just, I just, you know, thought to myself, prayed, and wondered, well, who's going to reach out to these kids? Who's going to, uh, kids who've grown up in a poor compl- uh, poor context, uh, uh, mostly single mother, not a lot to look forward to, uh, never finished even elementary school. Uh, who's going to reach out to these guys that look to the cartel for fast money and power and so forth and so on. And so uh, anyhow, uh, as I got out to play soccer with these guys, rub shoulders with them, uh, you know, a gringo, uh, although, you know, I grew up there, but still had blue eyes and blonde, and uh, they they were pretty, I think, surprised that a, an American would get out there and, and play with them. And so within about four months, just realized, hey, soccer is a way to really – touch base with these guys. And so I uh, organized, uh, took it upon myself to organize a small soccer tournament. And uh, uh, in uh, micro football, as we call it, micro soccer with a little uh, number three ball, kind of heavy and uh, just small goals and you can play it anywhere. So anyhow, started uh, uh, started that tournament and uh, uh, began to get to know these guys better. I had a little a Bible chat time during the week for any of them that wanted to come, and uh, 15, 20 of them would come, and uh, sort of the leader type, the doodle, as we say, the hard one, <laughs> you know, the guy that was the, the toughest, he would come, and uh, and after about a year, you know, he, he decided to make a change in life, and he renounced his uh, ties with the cartel boss, and and uh, began to follow Christ, and we began to, uh, you know, relate more, uh, Bible study, prayer, uh, so forth and so on. So, so that's how it got started, uh, just getting out, playing soccer with these guys and showing them uh, that, that I cared uh, for them. So you, you get this, this tutor on, on your side, the hard one on your side, and that's a that's a major moment when he accepts Christ into his life, right? A, a, a local leader, someone who is one of them, uh, who can then vouch for you and for the work that you have in mind. Um, and and up from this springs the CUSC, the Christian Union Soccer Club. I wonder what other major moments occurred from you meeting those guys the first day playing pickup soccer to the creation of this club and the influence it had on thousands of kids. Besides the two, though, and getting him to, to commit to a way of life that, that was Christian, what other major moments, major milestones did you see coming through? Well, uh, you know, he and I, uh, Alvaro is his name, still with me, still together. 
uh, he and I uh, uh, decided to, to start a, a, a sports club. I was uh, sort of directing this tournament, uh, but uh, I was just, I think, nothing really right home about, you know, did, but starting a sports club uh, really, really made it happen. I think, uh, you know, where we were gathering young guys together to train and, and we had them underhand, you know, I mean, it's one thing to entertain kids through a tournament, you know, they show up on Saturdays to play. It's another thing to have them almost every other day training two or three hours a day and, and being able to, to speak to them, to share with them. And, and, and so I, I would say one, uh, a second thing that happened was, and it doesn't sound like uh, that big a deal, but uh, we, we started a sports club, an official sports club. And so we, we organized a team. We entered, uh, we trained these kids. We entered them into tournaments. And, and that just allowed us to, to be with these kids uh, day in and day out. Uh, and so that was another, I would say, important thing that really led to our growth. So what do you think about this merger of sport and influence, right? This opportunity to get to know people uh, and you start getting into questions about how sport has been used as a corrupting force. So uh, just like Pablo Escobar, uh, he, he actually gained access through sport. Right? He, he met with the people and the people even welcomed him through that. How, how are you... Uh, thinking about sport, portraying sport, portraying soccer in such a way that uh, provides a different message, provides a, a different context for how sport exists in their world. Well, uh, one thing would be just what I said. Uh, we, we don't just uh, sort of uh, uh, organize sort of entertaining type things. We don't just provide uniforms, but we're were the friends of these kids, you know, day in and day out, and uh, and, and and so that that's made a big difference. Even uh, with with uh, family members, uh, the fact that we show uh, love and interest in the lives of these kids, and then uh, interesting, uh, even in the cartel members, even in and people that. Uh, are of ill repute and uh, you would think it would be against us actually uh, they would they would be for us uh, because we're we're alongside teaching soccer we're teaching values and uh, and 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 really working with these kids to stay in school and and stay off drugs and stay out of the gangs and uh, you know you would think that they would be uh, against us for that, but actually, interestingly enough, uh, they're for us, you know, and, uh, you know, many of our kids, or I would say, well, not many, but uh, a good number of our kids have literally been saved from being shot down because they belong to our club, you know, because people knew that we were, we were people to trust in, you know, and, and we were helping to keep kids off the streets and, uh, in school again, and 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 staying off drugs and and the gang. So, you know, uh, Pablo Escobar, all he was interested in is uh, sort of uh, some recognition and uh, pats on the back, I guess, and 
being known as El Patron, you know, the boss and uh, having more people come into his organization. Whereas we were really, really showed our interest and love for these kids. Uh, you know, I've been in, I've been in prison visiting some that unfortunately went that way. I've been uh, in homes taking food. We've been just in a, many different ways just showed that our our concern was them not not trying to find some soccer star, but to uh, their lives, you know. And uh, and so I think that that uh, made a big difference. I'm fascinated by the fact that your club, which uh, is a Christian club, and you're not hiding anything about that, the sports club, it's Christian. And you're saving kids from uh, Pablo, Pablo Escobar, from, from the drug cartels. You're saving them from that type of life, which means that you're pulling employees and potential employees from the drug bosses. And yet your club has been looked upon as a safe haven and, and trustworthy. That, that's fascinating to me that although you have um, aims that are vastly different, that their group or those associated with the cartel have respected your group and trusted your group enough to uh, allow these two things to coexist. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, uh, Chad, uh, you know, deep down, uh, these guys, uh, I don't know, uh, recognize uh the evil that they're in and they don't want it for their sons. You know, they don't mm. want it for their sons. Uh, mm. uh, you know, I had, I have many stories to tell, but I had one kid show up uh, to one of our soccer practices after we started that first soccer club out of that first group of adolescents, uh, 15, 16 year olds. Uh, we had uh, three or four of them also, you know, make a conscientious decision to, uh, leave whatever lifestyle was uh, in drugs, uh, robbing, and gangs, and and follow Christ as well. Well, we later then uh, set them up uh, in with with their own soccer club. Well, part of our soccer club, but it was in another area of town. We just sort of began to multiply uh, in in numbers of teams. Now, so we had a, a young guy, a twelve year old kid, show up. Uh, probably invited by a friend, and and uh, he came to soccer practice. And the first thing the coach did was pull out a Bible and and talk for about five minutes on on a Bible verse, you know, and just share with the kids. And so the next that night he went back. I I, I know this because his father later told me. <laughs> but uh, he went back and said, Dad, you wouldn't believe this. This this soccer team. Uh, I don't know what's with it, but the the coach first thing he did was open up a Bible uh, on us and. Uh, and the, and, the, and the dad said, what? What, what's, what do you mean? And, and so the next soccer practice, he was there. Well, uh, so it uh, happens that Hildardo was uh, one of the head guys of the car theft mafia in Medellin. I mean, he had chop shops and, you know, he was uh, stealing cars every day, he and his gang, and, and taking them down. You know, he told me once that he could take a car down completely in less than three hours, <laughs> whatever, you know. So, and so, but Hildardo, uh, he, he went to the soccer practice with his son and, and he heard the coach and, and talk, you know, and heard him talking about, 
you know, God has another plan for our lives and God loves us. And I don't know, that, that resonated in his heart somewhere because this guy was a bad dude, you know, and, and, and grew up that way. And, and so he just kept coming back and coming back with his son. And anyhow, he later, his whole family uh, uh, became Christians and he became a volunteer in our program. And um, it, it just, um, I don't know, um, you know, deep down, no matter how evil you you may be and, and just how bad of context you're in. It just seemed like uh, God, uh, they, they desire, they feel like they need something spiritual. You know? So, um, so yeah, even the cartel was uh, um, watching our back, so to speak. <laughs> uh, funny, funny, but uh that's how that's how it happened. Uh, you know, I don't know how else to explain it. So, yeah, and I think um, your explanation as to the conscience, really, of those that have even chosen to go uh, the the wrong direction, they know the direction they've chosen, and they know the corruption. And like you said, um, there's something in them that is pulling them away and uh, wanting something better, something different for their own families. Can you give us a sense of the scope of this? I mean, it started with you and a soccer ball and, and a tournament, and now it's run for a length of time and it affects uh, a sense of the, a community. Can you give, it, give us a sense of uh, kind of the trajectory of this organization? Well, I must uh, uh, promise this with saying, like I've always say, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing exactly. And, <laughs> and and I didn't have all these long-term plans, you know. I was teaching full-time at the seminary and, and sort of doing this on the side. And it was just sort of God-leading. But anyhow, just as we uh, shared with kids and as they uh, decided to leave the lifestyle they were in and follow Christ, um, they would become sort of assistant coaches. And uh and, and then as they showed uh, leadership and, and, you know, a real desire to change in their lives, then we would, we would set them up in another area of town and, uh, and start their teams. And, uh, and they would just sort of repeat the process. Every other day, soccer practice, start the soccer practice with a short little kind of devotional uh, Bible message, uh, have a really well-organized soccer practice, um, the coaches visit their homes, talk with the parents uh, on top of the kids in terms of schooling and so forth. So uh, long story short, uh, we, we've had about, I would say with, with this year, although this year has been certainly different, but uh, about 40,000 uh, children, young people go through our program. And uh, right now we have uh, 33 full-time coaches and, and other staff. And, uh, and so it's just, you know, it was just a process of multiplication of, of you know, God working kids' lives. And, uh, you know, I have a great story. Do I have time to share this short little story with you guys? Or you got yes. another question? Or, Please you know, do. Uh, another kid uh, from a really, really bad home. I mean, this kid was born with a, a gun in his hand. His father was uh, uh, really into the criminal organizations, later became a commander in the FARC, which is a top uh, guerrilla insurgency and 
and he was destined, Alex was his name, uh, was destined to follow his father into the gorillas and all that stuff. But, you know, when he was about 16, a friend said, hey, uh, and Alex is a really good soccer player. Uh, you need to come and, uh, and, and and join this team, play soccer with this team. And uh, and his friend said, well, it's, it's called the Christian Union Sports Club. And Alex said, well, I don't want anything to do with Christians. I mean, you know, they probably, uh, you know, all they do is uh, sing hallelujahs and, and, and preach, you know. <laughs> well, this guy, his friend just insisted with him. And, and finally, he just went to get his friend off his back. And, uh, and the first day uh, that he went, uh, Alvaro, the doodle, that was the coach. And he opened his Bible to John 3.16, you know, passage we all know. Uh, For God so loved the world. And, and, uh, and, and Alvaro... Uh, got to know Alex before the practice and saw kind of his uh, residence uh, residence to, to be there. And, and so he, he stuck Alex's name in there for God so love Alex. And, uh, I, you know, Alex went back home that night and said, you know, this is the first time I've ever heard someone say that they love me. And uh, anyhow, Alex ended up also, you know, giving his life to the Lord, but uh, really kind of funny thing. He had to leave the neighborhood where he grew up in because he had done some pretty nasty things before he came to Christ. And, uh, and um, anyhow, he decided to go back into that neighborhood and, uh, and, and you know, ask forgiveness and, and square things with, with people that he had harmed. Um, and, and then he started his own little soccer team uh, there. And, and, you know, a week didn't go by when the local gang came up to him one time and said, Alex, what are you doing? We, we don't want you messing with our kids here. Uh, uh, you know, either stop or else. And, of course, Alex knew what else meant. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyhow, he and I, he shared with me and we prayed. And he said, you know, if God is for me, who can be against me and so forth. And so he stuck with it. And, uh, and uh this this gang of guys, one night, somewhat late, showed up at his door and knocked on his door. And he was getting ready for bed with his wife, had a little child by then. And he peeks out the curtain and, and sees this gang of kids, uh, guys, you know, and he just, you know, swallows and thinks, well, my time has come. They've come for me, you know, like it happened many times. Well, he uh, didn't have any other option but to open the door, prayed with his wife, opened the door, said, guys, what can I do you for? And, you know, expecting a barrage of, of bullets. Uh, we have had kids literally killed in their beds, you know, people going into their homes and just uh, anyhow, he expected a barrage of bullets. And, and, and he said, what are you guys, you know, coming to my house so late at night? What's going on? He tried to show a little bit of bravo, you know, uh, so his heart was, you know, going a mile a minute. And, and, and these guys said, uh, well, Alex, uh, don't get upset. Uh, we've come to ask you to train us as a team. We like what you're doing. and want you to train us as a team. And, you know, Alex didn't faint away there. But, uh, and so he said to them, under one condition, and, and what's that? Well, uh, I, have, I have five minutes to share with you about God's love every soccer practice. He said, no, we want to hear about that too. And so uh, out of that, out of that gang, uh, three are coaches right now with our ministry, you know, so just, uh, you know, sort of God working, uh, 
lives seeking and uh, and so we've multiplied like that uh, and again uh, worked about 40 40,000 and now we have about nine areas in Colombia rural Colombia that we're also working in as well so there's been an amazing impact on the ground there. I mean, you're talking tens of thousands that you're aware of that have been reached through this program. You've got these outstanding stories of, you know, personal transformation. And yet at the second global Congress, we also heard from a number of people that said, if, if you have a soccer team in the United States that wants to go abroad and do some short-term mission work, you got to talk to Marcos. And I'm wondering what it is about what you do with hosting American groups or American teams or, or international teams that come to the ground to see what you have going on that's so impactful. Yeah, well, well, it, it really is, actually, all modesty aside. You know, we just, uh, we have, uh, amazingly enough, don't have time to share the story, but we have a, a top-notch sports complex now. I mean, uh, three soccer fields, two uh, natural grass, Bermuda, and, and one synthetic grass. And it's about the only sort of stadium owned by an amateur soccer club in Colombia. And uh, I've even had, you know, pro coaches come and say, Mark, how did you do this? And it's a, it's another uh, miracle story. But anyhow, we have, we have some great facilities for them to come and train in. Uh, we have dorms. Uh, and, and so we have a great soccer setup. For, for teams that want to come and uh, and you know we they play against our top teams or other top teams in the area even pro teams uh, we had the Charlotte Eagles down uh, some time ago and they played against Nacional and Envigado uh, two top uh, two pro teams sort of friendly game but then but then we also have all this work out in the neighborhoods you know and uh, you know where kids uh, we work in areas that even middle class and upper class Colombians wouldn't even, you know, touch, wouldn't even get close to. And, and so to see these uh, Americanos, these gringos coming out, you know, and, and, and just uh, rubbing shoulders and hugging and so forth. It's just a really uh, super uh, experience. We're speaking with Marcos Wittig, who has given us a, portion of a fascinating story about his uh, life and witness really in Colombia. And uh, Marcos has been able to share with us some of the some of the life-changing stories of his uh, interactions with the people of Colombia, largely the the youth, the young people of Colombia, and uh, now, uh, how that ministry has expanded out to include other nations coming in to see what he has uh, what he has working at that time. At the same time, Marcos, uh, what a what a humble approach. Uh, we can see that God has is in you. God has uh, blessed the work that you're doing, and I think you live by prayer day by day in a place that uh, has a uh, a good amount of volatility still, and uh, you're. You're continually concerned with how the drug culture can influence uh, your your ministry and uh, the the people that you work with. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. 
as we close this out, uh, just give us a, a little sense of, of how how God has continued to work through you in this process and a little bit of, of your thought process as you look to the, the next several years. Right. Well, again, thank you uh, to you, Brian and Chad, for having me. I uh, really appreciate uh, the push and, and the interest. Um, you know, uh, as I've already said, uh, uh, this has been sort of all God. Uh, it's just amazing how, uh, you know, lives are changed. Uh, uh, like Alex, like Hidardo and Alvaro, you know, it's just, you, you just can't explain that psychologically, you know. And, and so there's just a real, uh, I know it sounds like a funny thing to say, there's a real truth in, in the message of the gospel uh, in terms of transforming lives. Um I, you know, I would, I would say that uh, sports is is such a great context. You know, it's just uh, as you guys well know, it is the context in which to really uh, powerfully work in the lives of of people, to meet people, to to be with people, and uh, and so um, you know, soccer is uh, king here in Colombia, um, and uh, it's just been a way to. To, to reach kids, uh, and at the same time, um, we we feel like um, you have to do more than just soccer, and this has just been another thing that's uh, happened in our lives. Uh, along the way, uh, we have uh, I had some guys uh, tell me, well, Mark, uh, we want to get out of crime, but how do we take money home to mom? You know, how do we how do we provi- help provide for our families and uh, and things, and so uh, I began to pray and think about that, and uh, and so uh, I just we would uh, we would make brownies as a way to uh, as a dessert, easy dessert to make in our house, and as our Colombian friends would come by, and I'd share with them a brownie, they'd say, "Wow, this is great stuff! What is this?" And and anyhow, uh, just sort of dawned on me someday one day i said well why don't we make brownies and and put these guys to work and so uh, i uh, made up a batch of brownies and took them to a major ice cream company uh it's the biggest company now in colombia and uh took them a sample and, and two days later they called me up with their first order they were you know wanted 150 kilos of this stuff <laughs> so, so I had to quickly uh, scrounge. Uh, we had I had a young guy uh, come up through the program, uh, Albedo, and uh, uh, not a you know uh, one of the gang members or anything, but just an ordinary guy. But could have easily gone the wrong way too. But uh, uh, came to us through soccer, and then he started a family, and but then he was out of work, and so uh, anyhow, I called up Albedo. I said, Albedo, how would you like to make brownies for work? And so he uh, came to our house the next day, uh, quickly showed him how to uh, make a batch, and and so he worked in our home uh, for a whole year making brownies, and that's how we got started. And then, uh, well, today uh, he oversees about 28 employees, and uh, we, we make about... Uh, I don't know, $70,000 worth of brownies a month and uh, about 170, 180,000 brownie products a month. <laughs> and, uh, you know, go figure. But uh, anyhow, it, it's uh, in regards to your question, we, we really want to also 
uh, work on on projects that will help sustain people economically. I mean, uh, it's just so so important for for the lives of these kids and and the families to to be able to legitimately, you know, pay for their living, you know. And so so we're hoping to expand the brownie business. We sell to seven, eight different brownie uh, ice cream companies. We sell in stores and individually packaged brownie. So uh, sports and business, sports and business, you know, I think is something that God sort of just led us into, you know. And and so uh, we, we want to go strong in, in both areas, you know. And, and you can you use sports, soccer primarily, and, and, and reaching out to young people and then also being able to uh, provide a place of work for them and uh, a business. So uh, we, we still have a long ways to go and, and things, but uh, hopefully uh, another generation will be coming up here soon uh, to uh, take over and, 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 and go places with this. But, uh, you know, the whole, the whole idea of God's kingdom, you know, and, and, and really, uh, bringing to bear his governance over the lives of you know, kids and young people and their families, you know, and, and, and sort of relishing in God's control over their lives, which of course we know is, is, is such a, a wonderful thing. And uh, we hopefully, you know, Medellin went through a, uh, this time of violence. Uh, everybody, you know, thought that Medellin was going to die. Uh, sociologists were referring to Medellin as the culture of death. You know, things were so bad. Uh, and yet uh, things began to turn around. And uh, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, our ministry had something to do with it. And, and now Medellin is no longer, nowhere close to what it was before. You know, I mean, we still have uh, drug trafficking going on, but just on a smaller scale, I would say. And, 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 and so forth. So, you know, God has done a real miracle here, and, and we just want to keep expanding that miracle. Well, I can say I've tasted those brownies, Marcos, and I think you've got fudge brownies, football, and a faith basis, and that's a pretty darn good recipe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Only God can do that. Uh, go figure, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, only God can do this, and he's doing it with and through the work of, of you, Marcos. And so we appreciate uh, everything about your story, but also we just are, are very grateful that you're doing such good work there in Colombia. Uh, we're happy to, to join with you and spread your story and pray for and with you along the way. We're just uh, very excited to be able to, to hear this story and also pass it on to others. Thanks so much for spending time with us on Sport Faith Life, the podcast. Uh, Marcos has also penned a blog that will be available on the Sport Faith Life website. You can hear more about his story there. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests. So you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, 
supportfaithlife.com.